Passion turns the impossible possible. Passion makes the impossible, turns it into the possible. Now, I want you to think about passion. I want you to think about um, your life and whether you have passion for anything. Without passion, your life is dull, it's drab, it's boring. Without passion, you're not really living, you're just existing. And, and Jesus tells us that if you want a life that's filled with passion, if you want a life that, that has no regrets, then, then you have to have at least two characteristics in that life. And I'm going to talk to you about those in just a minute. Now, I want to say this. If you aren't passionate about these two things that Jesus says we need to be passionate about, don't blame the preacher. Don't blame the worship minister. Don't, don't blame anyone. I'm sick of people blaming others for their dull, boring, drab, not uh, filled with passion lives. I'm tired of that. If you want to know who to blame for your lack of passion, look in the mirror. That's who you need to blame if you're not passionate about something. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, when asked the key to a passionate life, Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 and 31, this is in the message translation, love the Lord your God with all your passion. Some of you have heard this said and, and you've memorized it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, that means with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. You've heard it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. So Jesus is saying that the, that the key to a life with no regrets, the key to a life of passion is to love God and love people. Really, he says, when you boil it all down, those two things are most important. Love God passionately, love people passionately. And, and in the New Testament, it tells us in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. There it is again, passion, as working for the Lord, not for men. If you're going to do something, it's worth pursuing with passion. If you're going to be married, guys, I can tell you that your wives want you to be passionate men. Hello? James, is. Ta I'm talking about for wives. Come on, ladies, help me out. Do you want a passionate man or do you want a corpse? Okay, thank you. We have gift baskets next week. That would help your passion. If you're going to work for someone... I guarantee you the boss wants you to have a heart for work, not to see how much you can get by with or how little you can do, but to see how much you can enjoy your work. Men, if you're going to be fathers, then then do it with all of your passion, all of your soul. Guys, we've got to show our wives and our children that they're not burdens to us. We've got to put as much passion in our relationships as we do in our hobbies. Ow! Because some of you spend a lot more money and a lot more time on your hobbies than you do on your spouse and your children. Is it any wonder that we raise kids that, that turn their backs on everything we believe in? They don't know us, so they don't make our religion theirs. There comes a point where every child has to decide whether they're going to follow the same God that you say you serve. And think about the God that you are demonstrating in front of your children. This goes for women too, but, but I'm studying a men's book right now and it's talking about all the stuff we have to do as men. We're the spiritual leaders. Whether you like it or not, God says that. We're the spiritual leaders. So we have the responsibility for making sure that our homes are going the right direction. If it's not going the right direction, men, it's your fault. The amazing thing in, in our culture is it's okay to be passionate about anything except God. You know, we could, we could go to the Super Bowl today and live like absolute lunatics. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a fan. 
I'll be screaming at the TV. I'll be having a big time. Not as much as if cowboys were there, but they're never going to be there again. So in my lifetime, so I'm, I, uh, but I'm passionate. When I go to a game, I'm going to get into it. Woo! Yelling and screaming. We can act like a fool when our team scores, when our team wins. Yes! And we identify with them. We won! Yeah! Because we're such losers. We don't have lives. We have to identify with somebody else. We won! Ah! Who are we? You didn't play it down. But if we lose, if my team loses, oh, we can be so down and we can cry. I remember we lost in the playoffs when I was a senior in high school and uh, we lost in the quarterfinals of the state playoffs and I bawled like a baby. And and nobody said, you're a dork, grow up. Nobody said that. People said, he's so passionate. Noah's a sorry loser. But in our in our society, you're passionate. And it's okay to be passionate. Jerry Jones is passionate about the Cowboys. Mark Cuban is passionate about the Mavericks. I hadn't figured out if anybody's passionate about the Rangers. Um, I hadn't seen that. There doesn't seem to be a pulse there. And, and I'm a baseball fan. Last year was the first year we hadn't gone as a church, I think since our church has been in existence. And I just I wasn't passionate about losers. Um, <laughs> it's been 12 years since they've been in the playoffs. It's the uniforms. Did you know they're changing the uniforms this year? They're going back to red. They hadn't been in the playoffs since they had red. That ain't going to do it. But um, it's okay to be passionate about any of those things. But but if I take my relationship with God seriously, if I become passionate about that, people say, you're nuts. And and they're scared of you. Back in the 70s, I remember this because my, my brothers are 12 and 14 years older than me, so I remember the 70s very well because they were going through some really strange stuff in the 70s. And, and it was okay to be odd for God. And it was like the weirder you could be for God, the, the more people said, that guy, he's a Christ follower. And, and I'm just thinking, you're stupid. You know, I, I, I agree we need to be passionate about our relationship with God. And I am. And, and I'm going to spend time with God every day. <laughs> but I think I'm fairly normal in other ways. I, well, no, we won't get into that though. Um, <laughs> My children remind me all the time that I'm kind of different. Um, I think we've stumbled onto something here, though. Jesus said, if you want to live a life of no regrets, if you want to have a passionate life, you've got to be passionate about the same things God's passionate about. You know what God's passionate about? Loving God, your relationship with God, and loving people. And I think maybe we, we've stumbled onto something here. Could this be the reason why so many people are just limping along in life? Because they don't know how to be passionate about God. They've lost their passion or they've never had their passion for God and they treat people like garbage. Could, could that be why so many people are not ex experiencing the life that Jesus said? Jesus said, I've come that you might have an abundant filled life. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean things because in America we got all kinds of things and things get old. Jesus was talking about this life that no matter what the circumstances are on the outside, no matter what happens to you, you can be filled with joy. That's the difference in joy and happiness. Happiness has to do with happenings. It comes from that root word. Whatever happens to me, if good things happen to me, then I'm happy. If bad things happen to me, then I'm sad. Joy is in the, is, is regardless of circumstances. God offers joy to his followers, but only to those who sell out to him. Um, Romans 12.1 the Bible says, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Don't quit in hard times, pray all the harder. You see, you don't continue to grow. Your passion for God does not grow automatically. You don't, you don't just accidentally become a passionate follower of Christ. You don't 
accidentally have a passionate marriage. I mean, every once in a while there's some sparks, but you got to plan for it. It takes work. It takes some effort. And I don't know how many of you remember graduating from high school. Some of you aren't there yet, and so just chill. You'll you'll get there. But it seemed like, do you remember the, the graduation day? I know I remember my graduation day. It was raining, and, and, and but I remember because forced education was through. And, and you know, I was thinking, look out world, here I come. I had no idea what the future held, but I knew I was out of my mom and dad's house and I was finished with forced education. Anything after that was, was up to me and I was, I'm on the top of the world looking down. Come on, everybody, down on creation. You're not going to do it, are you? And the only explanation, I was passionate about life and so were some of you. What happened to you? Where Where did the passion go? Some of you are like, what was that song? That was the Carpenters. We were passionate about the Carpenters back in the day, baby. Actually, my sister was, and I heard all of her songs, so I know all of Karen Carpenter's songs. That's a sad thing to say. No, it's not. They're good. They're good. What happened is life happened to you. All these dreams and things that you thought you had, and, and then life happens, and, and jobs happen, and bills happen, and marriage happens, and kids happen, and slowly but surely, all of your passion for life was sucked out of you. And, and if you've ever been passionate about anything, and you've lost that passion, then I'm willing to bet one of the seven passion killers has attacked your life. And, and as we go through these today, they're on your listening guide, and as I identify them, if they apply to you, if you've seen them attacking you, I want you to put an asterisk there. Because if we're ever going to get our passion back, we've got to identify what it is that has attacked our passion. And so let's look at the first one. The first one is an unclear purpose. Purpose and passion go together. The number one passion killer is not having a clear purpose in life. If you don't know why you're on the planet, why get out of bed every day? If you don't have a, a clear understanding of why God put you here in this time, God didn't make a mistake and, and, and just um, uh, forget that He put you in Palestine, Texas. I mean, that, that wasn't an accident. He didn't mess up by giving you the parents that you have, although you're questioning Him all the time. He didn't mess up. God put you here for a reason. But if you don't understand that reason, you try all sorts of things to get a spark in life. And you may get a temporary spark, but when you wake up the next morning and, and you've had another relationship that, that's an uh, illegitimate relationship, when you have another hangover, when, when the high comes down, you realize that, that I've either got to get that back or I've got to find a, a meaningful life. You've got to have an understanding of why you're here. The Bible says that God created you, and as a created being, you will never understand why you're on this planet until you talk to the one who created you. A lot of folks will tell you there's self-help books all over the place, and you can read them and say, find your meaning in life from within. Well, you're never going to find it. Because your meaning in life is God. He created you and you will never experience the life that Jesus talked about until you figure out why your Creator put you here on the planet in the first place. So once you figure that out, then you can begin making your way back to passion. And, and see, even, even atheists admit that if you do not have a, a God in your life, then, then life is, is pretty meaningless. Check this out. Bertrand Russell is a, is a famous atheist. Maybe I should say infamous. Here's what he said. Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. He's been pretty honest there. He says, unless you start with God, life has no meaning. I, I thought that was incredibly insightful from someone who doesn't believe in God. He's saying there's no purpose, there's no destination in life unless there's a God, unless there's a beginning 
um, a higher being that's bigger than us. And if you take away a, a person's purpose in life, you will take away their passion. It's just a matter of time. Now, on the other side, other hand, if you have a clear purpose in life, then you have a passionate person. I want you to think about people that you know. If somebody you know has a little dinky purpose in life, like they're living for themselves, then they have a little dinky amount of passion. If they have a medium-sized purpose in life, which I don't even know what that is, maybe it's building their company, building a better car, maybe it's hugging trees, I don't know. If you have a medium-sized purpose in life, then then you have a medium amount of passion. But if you have a God-sized purpose in life, then you have a God-sized amount of passion. And there's no uh, substitute for thinking the way God made you to think, for doing the things that God made you to do, for sharing the biggest purpose in in eternity, and that's God's kingdom, being in on the advancement of His kingdom, a kingdom and a purpose that will never end, a kingdom that lasts beyond the grave. One of the reasons we have started this church was to reach people who were far from God. And we know that if we can do that and help you connect with God and with other people, then we have um, we have helped set something for all eternity. And, and I'm going to come back and haunt you. If I die and, and this church starts doing stupid things, I will haunt the place. I'm telling you. And I don't know if God will let me do that, but I would love to haunt you. Because the reason we're here, it's not for you. If you're a Christian, church is not for you. The church is you. The reason we're here as Christians is to be reminded that this life is not about me, it's about God. And we, are, we built this church for people who aren't even here yet. Some people that are here today that aren't even sure there is a God. That's who we built the church for. And so this purpose goes on beyond my death. This is not Doug's church. This is God's church. And we need to remember that He's the one that's in charge. And see, well, we got to move on. If your passion has dwindled, then you need to check the distance between you and God. If you're, if you're a believer, I'm willing to bet you're a long ways from Him. And He didn't move. You did. Second thing is an unused talent. Passion killer is an unused talent. God gives you talents at birth. God gave you a spiritual gift at your rebirth in Christ. And, and it's not like God just haphazardly does this. You know, He closes His eyes and just throws it out and whatever lands wherever. God gives you specific gifts and talents for a reason, and that reason is not you. The reason God gifted these guys that are up here on stage musically was not for them. And, and you want to see someone whose passion drains? It's when they try to use their gifts for themselves, their talents for themselves. But you want to see someone whose, whose passion grows and is fanned into flame? It's when they use their talents and their gifts for the benefit of others. That's why God gave them to you. And, and you know, studies have, have shown that up to 70% of all Americans are in the wrong job. They're in jobs that they're not created for, shaped for, and they hate their jobs. And, and I can guarantee you, if you go long enough in a job that doesn't use, that uses like 30% of your creativity and your talents, you got a 70% boredom factor, your passion will drain. And, and you're never gonna find a job in this world that uses 100% of your, your brain power and your creativity and your talents because God doesn't want you to be satisfied just in the secular world. You need to have a ministry that supplements that. You need to be involved in the church. I'm telling you, every week we go home, Janie tells me something that happens with some of the children in the 18 months, the three-year-olds. A kid will get something. A kid will 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 uh, move from one step to another stage as far as their development or, or their relationship with Janie, and she'll say, today, 
I connected with this kid. And she gets excited about that. We have people at work all in the children's area and they tell you things. I guarantee you back in Sandy's class, your kids, whether whether they've had a good day or not, they are going to be loved and encouraged and they're going to hear about God from a voice that's much quieter than mine. She was created. I, I, I wrote a letter to her on, on her special birthday recently. And I said, it is obvious that God created you to work with children because I would go nuts. You got eight screaming babies? I'm checking out. I'm calling 911. But you can walk in there and she can have eight screaming babies. And within a few minutes, she will have comforted every one of them and she will not have lost her mind. And she's just calm. It's amazing. When, when you're doing what God has created you to do and when you're serving the body of Christ. First Peter 4.10, God says that He's given us a purpose. When you find that purpose in, in life, it, it's just powerful. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts. And I want you to notice there's no punctuation there. Let me read it again. Notice there's no punctuation after gifts. Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. There's the punctuation. The reason God gives you a gift is to serve others. You want to have your passion sucked out of your life? Do not serve others. So use your gift will. Discover what you're good at, and then that helps you have a, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Discover what you're good at. Whatever you're good at is what you should be doing in the church. If you're in a dead-end job, then, then you're going to be a passionless person. It's just a matter of time. The third passion killer is an unbalanced schedule. Now, this is, this goes either way. When we're talking about balance, this could be a workaholic, and it could also be a lazy person. <laughs> the workaholic just running all the time. Oh, got work to do, got work to do, and, and I, I don't have time for this. I can't, I can't, there's crisis at home. I can't deal with crisis at home because I got crisis at work, and they just go crazy, and they work, 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 work. You know what's going to happen to them? They will crash, and it will not be pretty. And every person I know that I talk to like that who has crashed, they crash a very lonely person. Because if they're married and they have children, they're so far from them that the kids are just like numb. And they crash and they've destroyed their whole lives because work was so important. It'll get done. You're not indispensable. We used to have a deal in, in football every year. It's kind of the weirdest thing ever. We go to two-a-days when I was in high school. And... Uh, We'd go in the morning, we'd have workouts, and then we would have to go to the high school and we would have classroom sessions, and then you'd come back in the evening and you'd have another one. And coaches used to make us read this poem stuff, and I thought, God, this is the dumbest thing ever. It's nothing to do with football. And one of the things they would make you read, I don't remember the whole thing, but you would stick your, it would say, stick your hand in a bucket of water. And so in my mind, you know, I'm trying to get into this thing. It's boring, man. Stick your hand in a bucket of water, and it says, pull your hand out of that bucket of water. And notice the hole that's left. Well, is there a hole left? I'm thinking, no, there's no hole left. And, and here was the message, and the coaches hammered us all the time. When you pull your hand out, all of the rest of the water covers up, and, and you don't notice a hole there anymore. And, and the message was this. There is no one person bigger than the team. If you think you're bigger than the team, we'll kick you out, and we'll go right on without you. Well, you're not bigger than your job. And I'm not telling you to, to not to take your job seriously. Do not go out of your... My, my preacher said, do nothing. No. Take your job seriously. Do it as unto God. But, but we've got to have balance. Now, you go to the other side of that. 
You take someone who just sits around a lot. I, I can't. I can't abide by that. We we work around my house, and and I don't I don't put up with no work, and and I have a real hard time with no work. But let me tell you about a, a, a section of people that that get on my nerves more than any. It's Christians that have been Christians for years, and they don't serve. The big fat Christians. That has nothing to do with their physical weight. They're spiritually fat. Because all through my ministry, I've, I've heard people say, I just need more Bible study. And you know, some of the most miserable people I know, they never miss a Sunday morning, Sunday school or, or worship service uh, preaching. They never miss Sunday night. They never miss Wednesday night. And then they go visiting on Tuesday nights. And they're the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. You want to know why they're miserable? Because they've never done what they've been taught. Most Christians, most Christians, hear this out. Most Christians do not need more Bible study. Most Christians need to apply what they've already learned. You start applying what you learn, then you're ready for some more teaching from God's Word. And, and I want you to see what Jesus had to say about this. In John 14, 15, He said, If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. The Bible is something to be done not just something to be taught. And uh, according to Jesus, obedience equals love. I think you could also substitute obedience equals passion. If you're not passionate about your relationship with God, check your obedience factor. How many times have you disobeyed God continually? Now, fortunately, God's given us uh, the prescription for either of these, whether you're, you're a workaholic or whether you're lazy. Uh, look what it is in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Well, this means it takes some effort. How many, how many of you have gotten in shape physically without doing anything? I've thought about working out, but I don't like it. So... I don't do it, so I don't lose weight, so I'm not in shape. Well, you've got to make some effort to be in shape physically. You also have to make some effort to be in shape spiritually. And last week, we talked about this, um, what, it, what a fully devoted follower of Christ looks like. And we said that, you know, we had this whole cycle of doom thing where Christians disobey God and they come down. Anyway, there's this whole cycle. We talked about if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, then there's, there's at least five characteristics that need to be in your life. Grace, growth, groups, gifts, and giving. And, and if you have those five things, then you become balanced. If you don't have any passion, then I think you need to look at your calendar and say, which of the five G's are you missing? You need to be committed to these things to be healthy spiritually. And the reason you're not is because one of those areas is missing. You need to examine that and balance your schedule. If you want to be effective, you have to be selective. You don't have time to do everything in life, and what you figure out is not everything in life is worth doing if you look at your schedule. Let's look at a fourth passion killer. It's called secret sin. <laughs> and that's really a misnomer. And I'll tell you why in a second. Nothing robs our passion like secret sin. Psalm 38, verses 4 and 6. This is from King David, and, and David did a lot of sinning. More than likely, this wasn't the sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. This was some other dipstick thing he did. But, but look what he says. My guilt has overwhelmed me. Like a load, it weighs me down. I am bent over and bowed, uh, bowed down. I am sad all day long. 
you can tell when someone is is uh, sinning and they know that they're sinning because their spirit is so heavy that that you can look in their eyes, you can look in their face, their countenance. Sometimes you can even see it physically. They're just they're, they're weighed down with their sin. That's what David is talking about here. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a computer virus. I've had a couple of those suckers. And, and what computer viruses do is they, they come in and, and really what they want to do is they want to infect you. I don't know. These people got too much time on their hands to develop computer viruses. But anyway, we won't go there. They'll, they'll sneak in the back door. And what they want to do is work secretly until your hard drive crashes. And uh, some of you, you've got secret sin and and... It's working behind the scenes and Satan just keeps on pestering you with that because he wants your fall to be dramatic and he wants your fall to last a long time. And so this secret sin sucks the spiritual vitality out of you. And we've got to do something. God's given us the, the answer to that in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we will admit our sins, he won't let us down. Who? God won't let us down. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, make a liar out of Him. A claim that only shows off our ignorance of God, and I would add it only shows our lack of passion. Cool thing about God is, all I have to do is admit it. All I have to do is, is be humble enough to say, God, I messed up. Will you forgive me? God already knows it. Confession means I agree with God that I messed up. One of the coolest things to me is when my children, when they will confess to me, and, my, and I hope they've learned this, if they will confess to me that they've done something wrong, the, the punishment is much less severe. If you're lying to me, the wrath of God comes down on the Washburn household, and it is not pretty, don't lie to me. But if you confess it, there's all kinds of grace. And I'm thinking it's so much easier. Why would you lie? I will beat your backside if you lie to me. Why would you do that? It's just pride. Why would we not go to a loving God and confess our sins? Because He lifts the, the, the load up. It says that He cleanses us, purges us from all our wrongdoing. And secret sins aren't really secret. Have you noticed that? Somebody's going to know. Somebody's going to find out. And even if they don't know the specific sin, somebody that's close to you knows that you're far from God. It's, it's not a secret. And let me just tell you this. If, if you're a sinner, new life is a place for you. We love sinners. That's right. And one of our kind of slogans is, this is real people with real problems, and in God's Word, there's real answers. We don't want fakers. If you want to be fake, this is not the church for you. I'm just going to tell you up front. We won't get off on that. Number five, unresolved conflict. I want you to look at these verses. Job 5.2, Resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Job 18.4, You're only hurting yourself with your anger. Did I put those on the list then, God? I want you to circle those, those words. Resentment, jealousy, and anger. Those three words will destroy your passion every time. God teaches us we got to forgive people. And the weird thing is, if I don't forgive someone, then what I'm actually doing is I'm transferring control of my life to them. If, if I'm hacked off at Nate, I really just give the leash of my life to Nathan. And I say, just lead me wherever you want to lead me. 
And he may not even know it. He may not even know that I'm mad at him. He may not even know that I'm tied to him. And, and sometime I'm going to let Justin tell you in his own, own words, but uh, he gave me permission to, to say this today. Justin came to our church um, several years ago. I don't remember how many years. How many? 2005. Justin remembers it. And he hadn't been coming to our church. His, his brother and sister-in-law had been inviting him, and he's like, no, Doug's there. I, I didn't know this, honestly. Because I, I would see Justin. I knew, I've known him for over 10 years. I would see him, and I'd shake hands with him out. and Hey, man. I, and he'd tell you. I, I was always nice to him. But but he thought I had I had uh, betrayed him ten years ago, and he hated me. And he'll tell you he said stuff about me. I don't know what it was, but he said stuff, and it wasn't pretty stuff. And so he came to church one day, and I was shocked that he was at church. So I went up and said hi to him, talked to him, and and he said that somehow God God communicated to him that that Sunday, and the next Sunday Justin's there early, and I'm like wow. You know, cause people get here early. I figure God is moving, you know. Um, so Justin comes up and, and you know, when, when you've got stuff on your mind, what I was talking about, your countenance, he comes walking up and dude, I know something's up. Now, I'm not real smart, but I've been doing this long enough that I can tell when somebody's approaching you, you know, something's on their mind. And he said, I got to tell you something. He said, I hated you. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. Um, cause he was troubled in his heart, man. He was, he was burdened. And I'm like, What's up, dude? And he said, let me tell you why I've hated you. And he, and he recounted something that, that he thought had happened 10 years ago. And I said, okay, number one, I don't remember anything about that. But number two, I do remember I never said what somebody told you I said. And he goes, well, I just had to confess that. And, and the irony, he was tied to me. He had given control to my life and he hated me. I didn't even know it. You see how foolish anger is? I'm not saying Justin was foolish. He'll tell you that. And the real irony is that when God started working in Justin's life, not only did he forgive me, he's one of my best friends. Only God can do that. Hello? I'd do anything for him and he would do anything for me. That can only happen supernaturally because... Because our, na- our nature, natural thing is to be angry and to hold on and, and supernatural thing is to forgive. God knows, and, and the Bible says so much about forgiveness. God knows that you're tied to people if you don't forgive. You've got to have um, some people in your life that can support you. That's the next one. A lonely lifestyle. God never meant for you to go through life alone as a solo act. And whether you marry or remain unmarried, that is not what this is talking about. You need people in your life regardless of your marital status. And in fact, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to be starting a uh, single small group. It is not a hookup group. That is forbidden. And one of the things we say on, on Friday nights at Celebrate Recovery is, you know, it's, this, if you're coming looking for a date, you're in the wrong place. And really, you need to wait till they graduate several years from recovery. Then you got a healthy individual. That's yes. Um, recovery is for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And, and so we say, you come there and you try to hook up, we will kick you out. Our single small group is not a hookup place. But it is a place where people can get together that, that have similar hurts, habits, and hang-ups. 
and, and study God's Word. And so if you're interested in that, be sure and write that on the back of your card today that, that you're interested in the single small group because uh, we want to kick that off in just a couple of weeks. I want you to look at uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If a person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If you're not in a small group, you're cheating yourself. And, and here's just a little word of advice. If you say, I don't need help, you need it worse than anybody I know because you're living in denial. You need some, some friends that will challenge you, that will love you. There's some things in your life that you will never figure out until you team tackle that with somebody else going the same direction that you are. And one of the reasons God doesn't want you to marry someone who's not a believer, not just not a believer, ah, we could go on that for a while and we will in a few weeks. God wants you to, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. So if you're a Christian, you're supposed to only date and marry Christians. And and we, I've, I hear the stories all the time of people who disregard God's Word and then their lives are jacked up. And I hear it all the time. God says the reason that you're not supposed to do that is because, it, think about this, you're going in two different directions. You have two different manuals, owner's manuals. God wants you going the same direction with someone. And, and what we pray all the time, we pray this over our kids, that they'll only find attractive people that are seeking after God. We have cursed our children because we want them to only seek after people after God because they're going to marry somebody someday. And that's going to affect every holiday that I ever have. It's a very selfish motive. <laughs> you know, if you've been, you know, you marry the whole crazy family. And you get together every every wedding, and I'm laughing because I've got family membership. Um, but but you marry the family, and God says, "I want you, I want you to marry some, I want you to date and marry somebody who's going the same direction, so that you don't have this junk going on. You don't, you're not fighting, and and that when you do have conflict, because you do have conflict, you have the same owner's manual, and you go to it and you say, God says this. God made me. He created me. He made marriage. God made sex. Woo! Yes, I'm glad He did." God's a good God. <laughs> Sex was a good gift. But God intends for that gift to be in marriage. When God's gift is used appropriately, it bonds a marriage together. When God's gifts are used inappropriately, it drives a wedge. You can, you can try to do things that's not God's way and, and you'll suffer the consequences. Okay, I got off on that. Whether you're married or not, God wants you around godly people because life is hard. People die. People have all kinds... You wouldn't believe the things that folks write on the, the back of their cards week in and week out. And, and I just sometimes I just get burdened down and I say, oh God, I hate death. I hate cancer because I see what it does to your people, God. I hate it. And you need folks around you who are going to help you, not hurt you. God didn't intend for you to be lonely. And I'm not talking about marriage. Because the loneliest people I know are the ones who are married and are lonely. That's a loneliness that you can't even begin to comprehend. Number seven, an undernourished spirit. Bottom line, at its root, passion is a heart 
issue. It's a spiritual issue. You can't take a pill and get passionate about something. There's no manual other than God's Word. You can't buy passion with money. You can buy happiness for a little bit and then your boat gets old or your jet ski gets old or your four-wheeler gets crashed, you know, gets a scratch on it. <laughs> um, it has to come from within. And see, that's why God has to... What the Bible says is that when you become a follower of Christ, supernaturally God puts this seed in your heart called the Holy Spirit. And God begins to take over from the inside out. When uh, those of you who've been here the last few weeks, you heard Justin say there is nothing he did except give his life to God. And all of a sudden, someone, he'll tell you, he was very angry, a very bitter person. If you crossed him, you were off his list. And somehow God has taken hold of Justin's heart. And he's not perfect. But God has taken hold of his heart so that he can forgive. And you can too if you'll, if you'll move towards God and, and get his spirit inside of you. Every week there's situations and there's circumstances that are going to come up that are going to try to drive you further and further away from God. And, and part of the reason so many folks are so frustrated in the Christian life, if the only spiritual nourishment you get is on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., you got 167 hours where there's an enemy named Satan who wants to take you down. You're getting all this other input, and, and if you've ever messed with computers... If you put garbage in, you get garbage out. If all you're doing is filling your mind with garbage, you've got to get to the point where you are daily being fed from God's Word, even if that's 10 minutes. And, and how do you get that? You have to plan for it. You have to put that in your calendar or it's not going to happen. And, and I, I think I can speak for you. I don't think that, that you want to be one of those people who dies before you die. You know anybody like that? They, they've died before they die when they're just old and crotchety, and, and that has nothing to do with their physical age. I've seen people, honestly, I've seen people in their 20s that look about 50, and that's not old, by the way. As I get closer to that, it's less old. But you know what I'm saying? When you find out their age, you're like, no way! And it's because they're bitter, and they've been practicing being bitter. And, and you want to be alive until you hit the grave. Right? You want to be fully alive. I do. <laughs> Thank you. At least one of us does. Thank you, Sharon. The only way to do that is you've got to nourish your spirit. You've got to feed from God's Word. I want to be passionate my whole life. And if you want to do that, you've got to get plugged into God. Now, I want you to look back over this list just for a second. And I want you to mark something that if you see something that has attacked your life, I want you just to mark that. And I'm going to give you just a second to, to just kind of pray. Some of you, some of you aren't believers, and, and so I just I, I, I dare you to pray this prayer. God, if you're real, show me. That's the coolest prayer you can ever pray. Because there's going to be stuff happen, and you're going to say, oh, it's coincidence. And then when about nine million coincidences happen in your life, you're eventually going to say, there must be a God. And we'll be here when, when that happens. We'll be here and we'll rejoice with you. Um, but I, if you're a follower of Christ and your passion has dwindled, I want you to mark that and I want you to tell God and then on the back of your registration cards, I want to ask you to do me a favor and tell me. I love people. I love hanging out with people and I wish I could hang out with all of you, but I can't. But this is one way that I can, I can pray for you and it helps me understand what's going on in your life. So if there are prayer concerns, if there's some, some 
passion killer that's attacking your life, please put that down. Um, and I'll pray for you this week.